Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. And I'm, I'm sure all of us can find instances in our moment, in our life, which really transformed our careers, our life, how we approach life tremendously because that thing happened. It could be a thing that led you to go in a downward spiral. It could be the thing that led you to go in the upward spiral. It could be either of those outcomes, depending on how you approach that situation, what happened next. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Song, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Today, I am so excited to have Ajit with us today. He is the co-founder of Mind Valley Teach and the former CEO of Mind Valley, an absolutely incredible guy. I mean, this guy came from you talk about humble beginnings. Everybody says they have humble beginnings. This guy actually really had humble beginnings. He was from Jaipur, India. He was living in a house with 23 people and in, in under one roof. He was sleeping in a bed with his uncle and his brother. And he just decided he wanted to have a better life. He worked his way up from an intern at Mind Valley all the way to becoming the CEO of Mind Valley, and he's now moved on to all sorts of incredible projects that just feed his soul, uh, including becoming an angel investor and the face of Zentrepreneur. He is, he runs Evercoach. He has this passion to serve. He helps online educators. He impacts literally millions of people all over the world. He he's absolutely incredible. And I cannot wait to dig into this conversation. So welcome. Welcome, Ajit. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. That's a very generous introduction. Thank you very much for doing that. Ah, well, thank you. I mean, what an incredible story you have. Seriously. I mean, people talk about humble beginnings, but you really had humble beginnings. So you had this extended family of 23 living under one roof. Is that, did I have that correct? You have it absolutely right. So I, I grew up in India, like you mentioned. I, I was born in Jaipur. It's a small town uh, in a state called Rajasthan in India. It's, it's a beautiful town to live in. Uh, but we, we grew up in something that's called the old town, which is where the houses used to be uh, in the initial journey. And uh, me and my extended family, which was... My my parents, of course, my my uh, my parents' brothers, so our cousins, his cousins, all of us shared the same space. My grandfather, my grandparents, both of them were there, um, and my grandparents' brother and his entire family was there. So it was twenty three different people uh, living in the same house. 
Um, and we, we really didn't have a lot of abundance of space and abundance of wealth, of course. That's why we were living in a house like that. Uh, so it was, uh, it was humble beginnings, you can say, yeah. Yeah. And in some ways you felt, I don't want to say, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think I, I, I heard you say something about you kind of felt insignificant, like a little bit bitter about that scarcity and you never wanted to feel that way again. Am I, am I saying that right? You are, you are. So the journey had, um, while you're growing up and I'm, I'm sure all of us can find instances in our moment, in our life, which really transformed our careers, our life, how we approach life tremendously because that thing happened. It could be a thing that led you to go in a downward spiral. It could be the thing that led you to go in the upward spiral. It could be either of those outcomes, depending on how you approach that situation, what happened next. The situation itself is just the trigger point. And I think the outcome really is defined by what's the inference that you make out of that situation that you're in. So I was in this situation. And so I'm sure a lot of other people in India are as well. Um, and while I was living in this uh, scenario, one of the days my uncle was staying over and we were sharing the bed. I got into a little argument with my, with my brother and my, uh, my, my mom really cares about what people say around her, uh, about her. And so she kind of came into the room, smacked me and said, go to bed because my uncle was also there. So I cried myself to sleep that night. And as I woke up next morning, I, I saw that my pillow was still wet from the tears last night. Oh, and man. so that, um, that moment was the moment that I viscerally remember when I said, this can't be my life. I have to do something about it. I was, I was maybe in my, uh, my, my tweens, not even in my teens. And I said, I have to do something about it. And so I started really chasing what the world would tell me is the way to get out of that situation, right? So uh, that was, hey, get educated, get a degree, become an engineer, become a doctor. That's the way out. That's your ticket out, right? And and I was I was studying for it. I started. I was I was a decent student. I wasn't an A student. I wasn't a F student. I was maybe like a B plus student. And so I started studying for it. I was like, hey, I'm going to be an engineer. That's what I'm going to go for because that seemed like my aptitude. And as I was learning about what engineers do, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, yes, maybe be wealthy, but I will not be happy um, because I will not just like to do that kind of day to day, like do the same work again, 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 unless at one point you get to a situation where you're actually not doing the engineering work. You're doing more like the management work, uh, but you have an engineering <laughs> degree. So like that doesn't seem like something I want to do and doesn't feel like that I want to really have a career where I become an engineer, then I do a management degree and become a manager of engineers. And that was just the trend at that time. So it didn't it's call like to me. It's a good Asian in, family in thing. Joy. I'm half Chinese. Yeah. So, you know, my dad's from Shanghai. So it was doctor, engineer, you know, yeah. I mean, those are the acceptable careers. Anything else, your family so, really doesn't understand what it is that you do for a living. <laughs> yeah. So, so you get it. You get yeah. it. You've been in that experience in yeah, your oh, life yeah, totally. where it's like, oh, if you don't do this, it's like, oh, what are you doing? And yeah, I decided exactly. that that's not what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of wrote a letter to my oh, like, father. Happiness and said, is hey, not really part of the equation anyway. Like What happiness? <laughs> 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 right. Yeah. You need to be safe, secure. You need to have some kind of acceptance in society. That's exactly. really what matters to an Asian exactly. family. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. What is the uncle going to say? And what's the auntie going to uh, say? Totally. Yes. What is it? Yeah. So, yeah. So all of that was uh, on my mind as well. But just, I just took a different approach at that time. I wrote a letter to my father said, I, I, I will probably be rich, but unhappy. I'd rather be happy and not be that rich. It's okay. I am comfortable with that. Um, and he gave me an ultimatum. He said, fine, you can do what you want to do, but know that I don't have money to back you. So if tomorrow you say, hey, I want to start a business, I can't do anything about it. Like I, I really don't have the cash to support you beyond your education. So you're on your own. You see, you have like three years or whatever, you graduate. And that started me early on in my career and got me to make different decisions that of course have led me to today's point of us having this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Which is really, really interesting. And so, you know, you, you you decide to like break out from this thing, which is kind of a scary thing. I mean, I think, you know, also coming from an Asian family and my other half is German, which is also pretty, you know, traditional, like, you know, I always say I have no fun genes whatsoever because it's all like very, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so I think it's kind of scary to break out and go, you know, I'm going to do something totally different. Uh, and so you end up like, I'm going to be an intern at Mind Valley, which is, you know, just the whole concept of I'm going to work on things about your mind and your passion and your happiness and, and, you know, the whole concept of what Mind Valley is about is really so, and, and the, the co-founder of Mind Valley is also Indian, you know, I mean, and just the, like that, that whole concept, frankly, as, as a person who's also Asian myself, I mean, I, I feel like that was such a, a huge breakout thing for what your culture was. I don't know. I, 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 I just am so curious about that. So it's, it's kind of funny because if you really think about it, like the Chinese culture or the Indian culture have always been very spiritual. Like the, sure. that was the predominant side of our cultures. And then as society evolves, somehow we tend to forget it. And that becomes a priority only later in life. But if you inherently look at our textbooks, our culture, our religions, even the religions that are more common in that area, they're very um, much with the understanding of spirituality and personal growth uh, oh, for sure. all the time. For sure. Like for that's, sure. that's the focus and attention of it. The intention is always about joy and karma and dharma and, and all these things that are only getting momentum now in the Western society is defaulted in our culture. So when I was growing up, again, while the primary narrative was you know, go get a job, uh, get a career, all of this happiness stuff can, well, can wait later or you get married and be happy, you know? Yeah. Like very, uh, very, um, psychological, if I may, without the, the spiritual, without the spiritual elements. And at, but at the same point of time, uh, if we were in those cultures, all of us are exposed to spirituality. I think I just got turned on to that much, much sooner than, than what traditionally tends to happen right now in that part of the world as well. Um, and because I got turned on to it very early on, I was asking questions like, does this give me joy? Am I happy doing this? Mm -hmm. um, and I reflect that today, that that was the question I was asking at that time. If you, if you would ask me, I wouldn't really be able to explain. And which was my situation is that why am I, if I could be an engineer, why would I do anything else? 
Um, and I couldn't explain it to people. I couldn't explain it to my parents. I'm just grateful that they were kind enough to let me decide for myself and say, hey, till the time you're responsible for your decision and whatever happens next is your responsibility. If you are willing to take the responsibility, you can do what you want. Um, so I was just in a good situation in that sense where my decisions were not sabotaged, they were respected. Uh, like, okay, yeah. as a teenager, we trust that you know what you're doing and you're not being irresponsible with your life. Um, and so it, it really was that, but I think that's, that's the good part about being in our kind of cultures. We are always have exposure to spirituality as much as expectation is to very much follow the mold. Mm, that's definitely true. And you actually do you in one of the, when I was doing some research for this interview on you, you talked about always making sure you have wisdom around you. And you you actually talked about how you have, you had your grandfather and the wisdom of your grandfather around you and how much that impacted your life. And you actually talked about a story of your grandfather um, and how um, that, that actually really impacted your life. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about him and how he um, really impacted you. Do you want to, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. And and I spotted that recently. So you must have seen one of my recent interviews because I, I didn't connect the dots until very recently as to why is it that I chose a career like the one that I have. And, and recently I discovered that I have actually grown up in a, in a, in a system and not in the system, but in an environment that would have, of course, uh, prepared me for the kind of career that that I have right now. So I'm in the career of coaching, training, educating people, working with people, helping them uh, create solutions in their lives and so on and so forth in one or another capacity, either through partnerships, through training programs, or through one-on-one coaching, right? Depending on whatever the structure is. And, and what I had reflected on was when I was growing up, my father was, uh, was alive until I was uh, 18, approximately, 17 years old. And, um, and I had seen that year after year, month after month, I would find that my grandfather would be sitting with people around him uh, talking about something. And we were never really allowed to go into those rooms because we were like, there's something your grandfather is doing. Don't like, don't go in the room. It's sensitive topics. Right. And I was like, always like, I don't know what he's like. Why are there so many people at our house? And they are sometimes there for days. Like they will go come in the morning, stay till like seven, eight, have dinner, go back, come back next in the morning and have breakfast with us. And I was like, who are these people and why are they here? And then later on in life, we, we came to learn that people come to him to help with negotiation between difficult circumstances. People would come in to get his guidance, to get his insight on different things uh, that were happening in their lives and difficult situations that they were in life. And he wasn't a coach. He wasn't getting paid to do this. He was just the elder. He was like somebody who somebody would go in and say, Hey, I just want to, you know, get the right person who would, uh, who would bring in life experience to that conversation. And that was my grandfather. And so early on, we had been exposed to an idea that that is something that people appreciate love. And that is, you can do to just as out of love and appreciation for community and it's helpful. And then at the same point in time, my grandfather being the wise person that he was, of course, clearly that's why people were coming over for guidance with, from him. He would drop nuggets to us uh, as in passing. Like I clearly remember one of the stories and I don't know which story you're talking about, which one you heard, uh, but there was a story that really changed the way I approached failure very early on in my life. 
is um, he, they, my dad had just joined my father's business and they had invested in some kind of jewelry, uh, gemstone thing. Uh, he was a gemstone uh, per, a jeweler. Uh, he worked with gemstones. So, so they had invested all their savings into this project with a partner who was to go to a different country and buy some uh, crude gemstones and bring them back to India. And then they would produce it together and make a big profit out of it. Pretty decent deal. This was somebody who was a family related person, like a relative where they had inherent trust. So they were like, okay, we are willing to make this investment. So the person goes, buys this crude uh, gemstones and comes back and says it got, all got stolen. And so I don't have it anymore with me. And of course my dad is like in jeopardy because this is all the savings they've had at that time. This was a big project they were doing. Um, and without that, they would be in big trouble because they had also borrowed money from the market to run the project. And right. so my dad was completely disheartened. My dad was like, ah, oh, you know, and this is my dad in his uh, early 30s. And he was like, oh, I think we are just crashed and burned. There's no way we can get out of this. This person is a liar. And of course, they were like later on, they found out they were lying. They actually had the thing and they, they used it for their own benefit, which is a whole different thing. And, and I don't think I can come out of this and I don't know what we're going to do, how are we going to feed everybody, you know, so on and so forth. Again, this is a big family. They're taking care of 23 people, right? Yeah. Um, so my grandfather says, oh, that's amazing. Let's get some sweets in the house. And my, my dad says, what are you talking about? Did you hear what I just said? I said that we are in trouble. They have told us they have, everything got stolen. That means all this money that we owe to the market, we have to come up with this money on all the money and the savings we had is all gone. Like we have barely any money left. And my grandfather says, yes, and that's what we are celebrating. My dad said, I don't understand. He was like, listen, what I'm really celebrating with you today is that you now experience a tough time in your life where you think you cannot get out of it. And what we will do in the next six months, we'll show you that nothing is unsurmountable. You can come out of anything and you will come out on top of this. And so I'm celebrating this moment. So you remember that everything that may seem like the end of the world is something that you can figure out, that you can get past. Uh -huh. And of course, in six months later, they were out of the whole hole. They were able to pay out all the, all the people that were in debt and they were able to create more projects and create some success for themselves. So... It, that, that was a story that stuck around for what failure really means. Like, does failure mean it's the end of the world or does it simply mean that it is showing you how life is not depending on one failure or there's no point of failure which can break you, it can make you if you choose to focus on it from that point of view. And, and that really what was, is, is inherently in me now, right? I can tell that story multiple times. This is a story that I grew up with on that failure is just a thing that happens. It's not something that holds you back or, or, or anything. It's just a part of the journey. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zong. The universe is a blue collar worker. The moment you change your goal, it says, oh, that list I created of everything that needs to come together, screw that. I have to make a new list because the person has a new goal. And then you wonder why your goals don't come true. It's because we keep shifting our attention towards things that are coming up to us in that moment instead of saying, hey, if I have decided to stay a course, if this is what I really want for my life, I'm going to keep chasing it till the time I get it. When it comes to the safety of a child in a divorce case involving alcohol abuse, there is no compromise. Take back power, strength, and truth from the narcissist in your life with documented proof of sobriety. 
Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they're not drinking when a child's safety is at risk. Soberlink's real-time alerts make it easy to negotiate with any party. Judges rest assured that the child is safe. Attorneys get court admissible evidence of sobriety and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. I created this community to provide support for divorced moms like me, which is why I partnered with Soberlink to create the resource tips for negotiating with a narcissist. To download the guide and get $50 off your Soberlink device, visit www.soberlink.com forward slash negotiate. Are you struggling with how to negotiate and win? Maybe you're dealing with a personality that's particularly challenging like a narcissist or other high conflict personality and you're feeling powerless, make sure to download my free Win My Negotiation Cheat Sheet at www.winmynegotiation.com. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. What's interesting is I like to think of this Biff method as pouring cold water on the flames. And so it just falls flat for the narcissist so they don't get that response. They want to get a sense of humiliating you or dominating you or something, and they don't get to have that. And now we return to today's show. Wow. And to look at it as something to celebrate. That's such yeah. a huge way to pivot. Oh my goodness. What an so amazing lock it in story. the memory, right? You gotta lock it in the memory. So how huge, you tell ourselves uh, the story is huge. Sorry. An unbelievable gift. Oh my goodness. So and another thing that you um do and um, you know, the, the name of this episode, by the way, is um I'm taking it from the name one of the um names of your books, which is Live Big. So I'm, I'm calling it From ex- Ordinary to Extraordinary because that is the theme of your life, by the way. Um, Thank you. Yes. And uh, so, but one of the things that um, I saw was a clip that you had and it was um, about how you write down your goals. And I, I thought that was really, really cool. And you had seen somebody in a retreat talking about writing down goals and how that really made a difference in your life. And I wanted you to talk about that because I thought that was really, really cool and how you really started like writing them down and the specificity and how um, that really, really, you know, kind of um, fast-tracked you getting to where you wanted to go. So can you talk about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So our minds are beautiful engines. Like they are just um, manifestation magnets in a way, if I I may, if you give them the right directive though. So our minds can also play great tricks because it's an ambitious function of of our soul as well. And it's trying to do more than what is possible at any given time. 
So the challenge with goal setting most of the time is people set goals that are really short-term or really long-term. So a really short-term goal is this year or this month, I'm going to do this, right? So when a goal is really short-term, what a mind tries to do is try to hijack and try to get to that goal really fast. But the unfortunate thing is that when your timeline is so short that your goal is actually too extraordinary for it, your mind will give up on it if there's no progress towards getting to that goal. So it's like when somebody says, I'm going to lose 20 pounds in a month or two months, right? While it may seem like, yes, go for the big goal, it's an impossible task from the point of where you are in your journey. And so what happens is somewhere midway or 30% to the goal, you would quit the goal. And that's why most people don't actually complete their year-long goals that they set for New Year's, right? The reason is not because you can't achieve the goal. It's because your mind just says, it's too hard, too difficult. I can't do it. Let me give up on it or come with some other alternative idea. Or sometimes the goals are so far away, like 10-year goals or 20-year goals, that it creates this false sense of, oh, there's too much time. There's so much time. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. That takes away from the power of the activity towards the goal. So first thing that I learned and realized about goal setting is that goal setting needs to be in a neutral time, a time that is not too far and not too close. So something that is to the tune of three to four years is a good amount to set your goals. Why? Because it's not too short a time. So you're not feeling overwhelmed by the goal. And it's not too long a time that you feel like you have enough time to achieve it. So you have just about the right amount of time to achieve any impossible seeming goal. So for example, if you want to lose 20, 20 pounds, 50 pounds, 100 pounds, three years is a reasonable enough time for you to get to that goal, right? All the tools that need to come in place, all the things that the universe needs to do to get you to get to that goal is possible in three years. You can make a million dollars in three years. You can find the right partner in three years. Whatever you want to do in about three to four years, maybe five years, if you really want to stretch it, is just about a good time to achieve any goal in your life. So firstly is to suspend the time in a way, is don't think about one or five-year goals. Think about like three-year goals because it's a, it's a decent amount of time to achieve anything in your life really, right? The second thing that I learned about is that you need to be, your goals need to be specific. You can't arbitrarily say things. Like for example, I want to make a million dollars. Just saying I want to make a million dollars doesn't mean anything for your mind. It has no emotion attached to it. It has no meaning attached to it. It doesn't really say a thing about, about you on how you will feel, right? So a million dollars, what does that, what does the, what does the life of a person who has a million dollars look like? And when you define that specificity in your goals, it makes it easier for your mind to say, oh, so what you really want is this particular car. Or what you really want is this particular experience of life. Or what you really want is to donate this much money to this charity. What you really want is to travel. Whatever that is that you really, really want that creates an emotional response for you, makes you feel loved, accepted, ambitious, whatever that is, that is the emotional response that you're hoping to generate with that otherwise arbitrary goal. It'll help you actually, your mind will actually do something about it because now it's associating an emotion. It's associating what it means. It's associating why are you even chasing that particular goal? And until we have that reward set up, until we know, oh, that's how I want to feel, it's very hard for you to do anything on a day-to-day -day basis because it's much easier to give up, right? 
It's much easier to give up the diet. It's much easier to not go to the gym. It's much easier to stop working on your business and just go back to the job. It's much easier, right? Because creating a new habit, creating a new reality, especially when you're starting to create it, is the hardest thing to do. So you need something that will help you stick around. And that's why that reward that is associated to your goal needs to be specific because now you know why you are doing it. So the goal itself is not so important as much as the why that is behind the goal. That is wildly important. So you need to be specific. You need to have a timeline that uh, that is reasonable, but not too far out or too close. And lastly, is you need to suspend expectations. And this is the reason why I say that. Suspend expectation means that you don't actually expect it to happen anytime until it's the right time, right? And the reason why we suspend expectation is because, and this is a little more metaphysical on, on my belief system, is I believe that the universe is out to create everything that you want in your life. It'll do everything. Like you, you want to be a billionaire, it's ready to make you a billionaire. But it needs to put a lot of resources for it to happen in your life, right? So it needs to say, okay, do you have the right life partner to be creating that kind of wealth? Do you have the right intelligence? Do you have the right team? Do you have the right business? Do you have the right product? Do you have the right mindset? Do you have the right approach? Do you have, there's so many things that need to come together for your goal to happen. It's like a blue collar worker saying, okay, I have got the message from Rebecca. Rebecca wants to create this in her life. I'm gonna start working on it. Let me put a list of everything that needs to come together for us to actually make this happen. And that takes time because it needs to bring a lot of things together. People don't consider that if you wanna become outrageously wealthy, for example, it's not only about just make money, it's about having the right life partner. It's about having the right friends. It's about having the right product, right? So it's, it's goals that we set up need a lot of resources to come together for us to have that perfect outcome. And so you need to suspend the expectation that it'll happen in the timeline that you gave or happen in the exact way that you want it to happen. You need to suspend that expectation and lean into how the universe is going to create it for you and continue doing the work. I love that you say that. And it's also, I think, you know, continuing to believe that it's going to happen even in the face of, well, you thought it was going to happen in, you know, this form with this person or, you know, with this opportunity. And then that one didn't materialize, you know, that door closed or that person didn't call you back or that, you know, it, it, you know, it didn't materialize there. Right. So you have to go, okay, so it didn't, that one wasn't meant to be. So universe is it, it, I guess, you know, you're bringing it to me in a different way, you know, and, and continuing to have that high emotion and believing because if you, if your vibrational level dips and you start to go, well, it's not going to happen. I don't believe it anymore. Then, you know, now your emotions, not, not there. And, and it's, you know, it's not going to, you know, then, then the universe can't deliver it to you. Right. Exactly. And sometimes, you know, it's our, we give up and change our goals because of that, like you said, right. So, you go, oh, I didn't get that particular meeting, so maybe I shouldn't chase this goal. 
And so we give up on the goal and we try doing something else. And think about the example I was giving. Universe is a blue collar worker. The moment you change your goal, it says, oh, that list I created of everything that needs to come together, screw that. I have to make a new list because the person has a new goal. And then you wonder why your goals don't come true. It's because we keep shifting our attention towards things that are coming up to us in that moment instead of saying, hey, if I have decided to stay a course, if this is what I really want for my life, I'm going to keep chasing it till the time I get it. Because you will. And it's just the design of the universe. Sometimes it's just too many things that need to come together for, for that goal to, to be achieved. Uh, it's not just about, um, you know, like this one thing that will happen. I was talking to one of my co-founders, one of my companies. And yesterday while we were talking to her, we're talking about the story that, that she had, which is very unique on how she got published as an author and so forth. So while I was talking to her, she was like, yeah, I thought I'm going to you know, write this book, send a proposal to people and people are, somebody's going to scoop it up. So she writes a proposal. She writes like the first chapter, you know, the whole book proposal deal that a person has to go through, sends it to 30 publishers. It's totally hopeful that somebody will say yes. Everybody says no. Every single person says no, except one publisher and says, hey, you know what? I don't want the book that you want to write, but I do need somebody to write Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, which was the first book she ever wrote. Would you be interested in writing it? Write us something. So she says, all right, fine. You know what? I want to get published. I'm going to write a book. And she ends up writing this 300-page document, which is like a textbook because Idiot's Guide. So it's the Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda. She ends up writing it. And she's, she writes it, gets it done, is about to submit it to the publisher back for approval. And as she's doing that, she attends this random event that she was just going to where Deepak Chopra seems to be just passing by to the event. He wasn't even the speaker. He comes in and of course the, the, the person who was putting on the event says, hey, Deepak Chopra is in, uh, in the house. He's gonna just give like a five minute keynote and we, he brings him on stage and Deepak gives his whole spiel and everything and gets off stage. And this friend of mine who's sitting in the back row have, is like, okay, I'm just gonna walk up to him and say, can I send you my book that I just wrote, right? And who is expecting, right? Deepak Chopra is never gonna give his email address and he's not gonna give the email address and on top of it, read the book, no way, right? So she walks up to him, says, hey, can I send you the book I just wrote? It's Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda. I'd love for you to check it out and see if you like it. Deepak says, sure, here's my email address. Gives her, gives her his actual email address. Totally coincidental. I don't know what Deepak was thinking. Sahara, which is the name of my, my co-founder and partner, sends this email to Deepak. Deepak actually one day later gets his team to call her back saying, the book is amazing. How can Deepak support you in this project? And writes the foreword for the book. And now she's written three books ever since, and all of them have forward from Deepak Chopra. Amazing. Uh, this is all not what she planned. <laughs> There's no way. Her plan was completely different, but the universe showed up in a different way. And that's just how it works, that you have to stick to, though, even in adversity, in failure, where you're getting rejected by 30 different publishers, finally getting a chance to write a different book altogether, where you're not even recognized as an author, really. And then getting Deepak Chopra to say, I'll write the forward for you. But staying Completely open different. that your bigger big is, is there. Yeah, absolutely. you got to keep it. Yeah, you got to keep going uh, after it and keep chasing it. Yeah, absolutely. So what's your bigger big? What's, what's, what's the biggest big for you? So I, 
recently, I would say as I've had kids now, uh, I have two kids and I've realized that I want to live a life of progress. I, I'm not chasing a particular outcome anymore. I'm not chasing um, because I have all the abundance I want. I'm trying to live a more present and amazing life on a day-to-day basis. And because of that, my my goal really in life is a life of progress, a life of passion, a life that is purpose-driven, a life that involves me being able to serve humanity in the best way I can and express my love for humanity in, in the best way I can. Um, and that's really my chase. I'm not trying to get to an outcome. I'm not trying to get to a goal. And I, I don't recommend this for everybody. It is because I have achieved all my goals that I had set out for myself in my in my 20s. I achieved it several years ago. And then I realized life is about just living and and making sure every day is an amazing day. Do I sleep in the night and said I did meaningful work? I was excited about what I did. And and I I was able to serve humanity in one way or another. And if I feel that, I had a good day. And that's really what I want to do every day. That's so amazing and so incredible. Like truly the power of now. You can say in a way, it is very much power of now. It's to say this moment is everything and I want to live the best I can. Uh, isn't that beautiful? Where can people learn more about you? Well, it depends on what you're looking for. If you are looking for trainings uh, that that we do for coaches, you can go to evercoach.com or actually might be the easiest thing to do is to follow me on Instagram as officially Ajit and that's the place to go. All right. Absolutely. And we will drop links to everything in the show notes, including a link to um, your book, which is the um, th- the book of, of, of coaching for extraordinary coaches. It's called, and then I have Live Big. Yeah, we have two different books here. Live Big, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Passion, pa- Practicality, and Purpose as well. So we're going to uh, drop links to both of those books. Um, in the show notes for um, for anybody who's interested in in purchasing those as well, and you can follow him on Instagram. And thank you so much, Ajit. It, this was I, I feel like I could talk to you all day. So much wisdom, so much <laughs> wisdom. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for stopping by and listening to this episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Check back next Monday for more inspirational pearls of wisdom. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, I'd love if you would give it a five-star rating and tell me what you liked in a review on iTunes. Also, be sure to grab your winning negotiation cheat sheet at winmynegotiation.com. And remember, today is a perfect day to start negotiating your best life. Thank you.